Are you looking to expand your brand this year? Want to make your business stand out above the rest? Well, there's no better way to grow than with your own podcast. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, a small business, or a massive company, you need a podcast in 2024. Podcast Plus is an easy and efficient way for you and your brand to join the podcast revolution. There's no better way to position your company as the go-to authority than with a podcast that showcases your industry knowledge, insights, and expertise. The studios at Podcast Plus are state-of-the-art with top-of-the-line production quality. And if you're just starting out, Podcast Plus offers professional script writing, editing magic, and can conceptualize your show, create your cover art, and get you ready to stream on all major platforms. We'll market your podcast as well, showcasing it on radio stations and digital streams across the country. Expand, enhance, and extend your company and brand and reach potential clients and customers 24-7. Find out more at podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. That's podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. Five, four, three, two, one. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. A confirmed attack is taking place against the United States. Aliens from an unknown location have been reported in multiple states. We are controlling transmission. There is another world that awaits, far beyond what we can see and feel. A place that's anything but ordinary. What you believe might not be. Step into the zone of the best unknown. UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, conspiracies and cover-ups. And to the paranormal we go. With Jeremy Scott. Yes, good evening from the not- Frozen anymore, cold dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. I am Jeremy Scott. Between the paranormal and the abnormal, we've taken the layer off. The streets are clear. We can get around without falling on our you-know-whats. And so I'm glad for that. Uh, Had uh, a tree come down, lost a little power, uh, got through it, though. Uh, We had had heat, and we had running water, and we didn't have any uh, busted pipes. So in that situation, we came out uh, better than others. And for that, uh, I'm very, very grateful that we were able to spend last week with you, even though we were under a layer of ice. Everything has cleared. The uh, transmission lines are intact. Uh, There's no more ice uh, coating uh, the cables anymore, and we don't have to worry about a tree falling on us in the middle of a broadcast. Tonight on the uh, program, we are going to talk about, uh, well, a mind-blowing conversation I expect that we will have tonight because this is one of those shows where we could head just about anywhere, and perhaps we may, because when... Well, when you look out there, there's a lot that we don't really understand fully. I mean, one of the things that excites me about doing this show is that we challenge the status quo. We're constantly looking, in fact, to evolve our thinking and learn new things, even if that means changing how we think. There have even been shows that I no longer agree with. Imagine that. I uh, had a position at the time, and I may no longer have that position. It's because I've taken in the evidence, and I've changed my theory or my hypothesis on whatever that happens to be. It is 
absolutely fascinating to me that we do not know exactly what is out there. That there is still much that we don't understand or perhaps have misunderstood about everything in the cosmos. And there are new discoveries that are being made that continue to challenge what we have come to know. Of course, you won't hear about many of them on the mainstream. But there has been lots of talk about the possibility that NASA's James Webb Space Telescope may find evidence of extraterrestrial life. Enough so that they have held top-secret conferences on what to do in this case of such a discovery. Of course, uh, would they even tell us? NASA would tell you yes, as they've done in public settings before, because they are science. They actually said that in one of the meetings last year on UFOs, and that they would disclose. Although the findings of their independent study team on UFOs has me seriously questioning that. But make no bones about it, the James Webb Space Telescope is a game changer. It has already made discoveries that uh, are quite groundbreaking, mesmerizing, in fact. Recently, a team of astronomers used it to discover a black hole, the most distant and oldest one ever seen, in fact, which could be a major step forward in our understanding of black holes. This one is about 6 million times as massive as the sun. It is 13.4 billion light years away and is seen as it was 400 million years after the Big Bang. But that wasn't the first one. Researchers found one 70 million years older that's located about 3.5 billion light years from Earth. There's also this uh, unexpected signal coming from outside our galaxy, which George Henry will have more on tomorrow night in the news. We had so much news. It fits within the conversation tonight, but we had other things that kind of pushed that aside. You'll have to stay tuned for the news tonight in both hours. But scientists analyzed data from the Fermi Gamma Ray Space Telescope and discovered an unexplained feature outside of our galaxy. I wonder what it is. And yet another mysterious radio source has been located in the heart of an ancient star cluster that researchers say might be a rare black hole. They think that the signal must be produced either by a medium-sized black hole or a pulsar. Now, out there among the stars could be Well, just about anything, and that could be a race of extraterrestrials. But, of course, you may be asking then, where are the aliens? Well, the Fermi Paradox, which came to be after a casual conversation with Nobel Prize-winning physicist Enrico Fermi in 1950, is a theory that seeks to answer exactly that. Given that our solar system is quite young, compared to the rest of the universe, and that interstellar travel might be achievable in time, you would think, right, that Earth should have been visited by aliens already. Now, of course, whether they're good or bad, who knows? 
But the implications of all this has had scientists scratching their heads for decades. But my guest tonight say he uh, says he has solved the Fermi paradox. His name is Joby Sofa Clark. He is a scientist who graduated with a bachelor's degree in computer science in 2020. Since then, he has been working on independent research discoveries, video game development, programming, and historical research of the origins of the universe. The focus of his work today is training a singularity, which is the most sought-after achievement in science today. Joby, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. Absolutely. Likewise. So the Fermi paradox, uh, how do you understand this? Uh, essentially, my understanding of the Fermi paradox is kind of goes back to the conversation um, that Enrico Fermi had, where he was essentially talking about a contradiction. Um, the contradiction is there are, um, just in our galaxy alone, there are billions of planets that are Earth-sized and and we're talking about just one galaxy, and there are billions of galaxies in the observable universe. So, uh, based on his understanding of physics and what's possible for a civilization, um, he uh, basically Enrico Fermi had said, if if there were um, any other civilizations, we would notice them. Why? Because they would be creating megastructures in space. They would be colonizing their galaxy. Um, they wouldn't just be like sitting on their planet um, doing nothing. Once a civilization um, is significantly evolved, um, it will start, you know, building all of these crazy things. So we could look at our civilization as a pretty young civilization because um, it's only been, you know, uh, you know, ten thousand years. You could say since we uh, started with agriculture. And if you look ten thousand years into the future, um, it would be very, um, you know, likely that we would start going to Mars. And then even start our colonization outwards with, you know, megastructures in space. The question is, why don't we see any megastructures in space? Um, why are we able to use these James Webb telescopes and, and look at their data? And yet all we see are stars and planets. We don't see any civilizations that have created megastructures. Um, we don't see any of this stuff. So it's a contradiction of, you know, maybe there aren't even civilizations there or Maybe the some people speculate that the civilizations um, self-destruct or or this or that. There's many possible solutions, and and what I've found in my research is um, a strong argument for the idea that the reason we don't see uh, these megastructures, we don't see any evidence of civilizations, is because civilization is simply so rare um, that we are the only civilization in the observable universe of a naturally occurring civilization. So did you gr agree with the findings of uh, Fermi? Well, um, Fermi didn't uh, – Fermi was basically just uh, highlighting the contradiction. And um, so, I mean, you could say that my findings agree with the fact that it's a contradiction and it requires a extraordinary explanation because um, saying that civilization is so rare that it's on the only – that we're the only one in the observable universe is a um, highly, you know, extraordinary finding – um, but it would agree with um, and as an as an explanation for the reason why this paradox exists. So I mean, he he didn't actually have any findings. He was just more highlighting the contradiction. It was a, it was a theory or a hypothesis, maybe more. Yeah, you could say. Yeah. And so, is the probability you believe high that other civilizations are out there? 
Um, so when I looked in my research, basically what I did is I found certain events in Earth's history in terms of our evolution from single-celled organisms to civilization. And certain events, uh, you can find them, uh, and they are basically events that were necessary for civilization to occur, but also a very low probability. So basically, I went down this deep rabbit hole and found all of these events in Earth's history and calculated their probability. And what I found is that civilization likely occurs less than one per 10 to the 40 star systems. And at most, the highest estimate of the amount of star systems in our observable universe is 10 to the 30. So based on my research, um, I my hypothesis or my findings, I conclude that we are the only civilization in the observable universe with a like 99.999, percent chance. So no other civilizations out there that we can detect? That are naturally occurring, yeah. That are naturally occurring. So there's a, a possibility that something could be artificially made. Well, sorry, what I meant by that was like many people speculate, they have speculations of interdimensional or um, – you can have ideas of a breakaway civilization. For example, if a if a group of people on Earth had figured out a way to engineer a von Neumann machine, and rather than telling the population of Earth they just left, um, then they could they could conceivably uh, colonize a star system, then come back and you know fly around some UFOs to mess with us. So it's it's technically possible. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I meant. So it's naturally occurring, yeah. Is that disappointing for you to come to that conclusion? Personally, I guess. Is it disappointing for you to reach that conclusion? Uh, No, because um, I guess the kind of what set me down this rabbit hole is this idea of the great filter. And the idea was that some people had speculated that the reason we don't see civilizations out there is because there's some sort of great filter that we personally as our civilization had not crossed yet, for example – it would imply that any civilization had a 99% chance of destroying itself, and that would be the reason why we don't see civilizations, because whenever the civilization had occurred, it would naturally um, you know, kill itself in a nuclear war or naturally self-destruct with environmental, um, environmental climate change or things like that. So I wanted to disprove this idea that there was a filter in front of us and disprove the idea that our civilization is doomed. And finding out that we are the only civilization in the observable universe is actually a good thing because what it means is the great filter that is essentially the great filter, meaning the reason why. Hold that thought. We got to take a break. Into the paranormal. You know, they say that uh, an asteroid took out the dinosaurs. And, of course, there's been uh, talks about other civilizations, perhaps extraterrestrial civilizations, imploding for a variety of reasons. Nuclear war among them. By the way, the doomsday clock still at 90 seconds to midnight. So I guess we're no closer to nuclear Armageddon, uh, I guess, at this point than we were a year ago. Talking with... Independent scientist Joe B. Sofa Clark tonight on the program. Cosmic conundrums, everything out there in the cosmos that we maybe don't understand or have misunderstood. And so, uh, Joe B., you were talking about this uh, great 
filter since we have a few minutes. So why don't you get into that? So, yeah, what I was saying um, before the break, essentially the many had held the idea that there was a great filter and, and there is a great filter, which generally prevents civilization from existing in our universe. And that's why civilization is so rare. Um, and many had held the belief that there was a great filter in front of us, um, things like nuclear war or um, you know, climate disaster. However, for this, um, for these future events to explain the uh, the lack of evidence of of civilization in our universe, they would essentially need to wipe out civilization like ninety nine point nine 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 etc. percent of the time. However, if you look at nuclear war, um, eventually uh, our species will become multiplanetary, and it's also not in anyone's best interest to start a nuclear war because it would probably lead to mutually assured destruction. So um, there's no way we can argue that nuclear war has a 99.999999% chance of destroying all life on Earth. So the idea that the Great Filter is in front of us is a bit faulty, um, which is why I looked the other way and tried to argue that the Great Filter was behind us. And basically I found many Great Filters in our uh, history that were essentially reasons why civilization is so rare in the universe. One of them, including the what you just mentioned, uh, an asteroid killing the dinosaurs. So um, there's a couple things to break down here. Um, when you talk about, okay, what if, uh, was was this asteroid really necessary for the existence of civilization? Um, you might say, oh, well, why can't the dinosaurs create a civilization? And why did mammals need to be the ones to create a civilization? So essentially, um, there's a couple things we can look at. Uh, first of all, you can say, uh, if a dinosaur civilization was possible, we would expect to be dinosaurs because those are much more likely to occur as land animals because the first fish um, who walked onto land laid eggs, and um, that means the first land animals laid eggs. And uh, mammals were, were only basically like a small offshoot that were really small versions of reptiles that naturally um, evolved live birth because they were like living in burrows and stuff. Um, so essentially, the first land animals, the egg-laying species, or in other words, large reptiles or dinosaurs, will always, always be dominant over mammals because they came first and are larger naturally. Uh, so, and then you can, again, look at the, the actual events of uh, how this dinosaur extinction event took place. Um, and in the fossil record, there are essentially three events that normally happen like once every billion years that all occurred within a one million year time frame. So there was, uh, some people don't know this, but first there was a, an eruption in the Deccan Traps near India. And then there was a asteroid impact. And this is the one that everyone knows about, the Yucatan Peninsula. Um, essentially, this asteroid just so happened to hit a sulfur deposit. So that's one unlikely thing. And not to mention this was a gigantic asteroid that we typically see once every billion or 500 my guest is Joby Sofa-Clark. He's an independent scientist, and we'll continue our conversation with him. Lots more to unpack. Trust me, we've got uh, much more coming your way on Into the Paranormal, somewhere between paranormal and abnormal after the news.
This is Paranormal News. Skywatchers got a show when an asteroid entered Earth's atmosphere and burned up above eastern Germany early Sunday morning. NASA's Planetary Defense Coordination Office tracked the asteroid's imminent arrival just hours before it arrived as a bright fireball. 2024 BX-1 was first spotted by a researcher from an observatory in Hungary. The asteroid is pretty small, only three feet long. It likely dropped meteorites on the ground as it traveled through the atmosphere and began to disintegrate about 30 miles west of Berlin as spectators posted video of the space rock falling from the sky. This is only the eighth time that an asteroid has been discovered before hitting Earth. It's an incredible discovery as the European Space Agency says 99% of near-Earth asteroids smaller than 98 feet across have yet to be discovered. George Henry, Paranormal News. NASA's James Webb Space Telescope has just seen the oldest black hole ever observed, dating from the very dawn of the universe. Black holes are forcing us into a deeper understanding of what space and time are. If we detect just one more instance of life or technology out there, we'll immediately be able to upgrade our guess at the probability of any given planet reaching that stage of development. The prevalence of life that we presume to be out there, the stock in the prevalence of life has gone up. Unidentified life form detected. This is a popular solution for the Fermi paradox about where all the aliens are. I told you there was a connection between the dinosaur extinction event and UFO alien stories that are in the news today. Would you believe me or would you call me crazy? Originating from a remote location, nearly as top secret as Area 51. Yeah, and if you believe that, you'll really like this show. Into the paranormal. Might be a crazy ideas, but nobody's crazy. We just all think differently, and it is uh, always entertaining for me to learn how others think, and we're doing that tonight with uh, Joby Sofa Clark, who is challenging our understanding of what we've come to understand about life in the cosmos, and particularly about how other civilizations have, in one way or another, wiped themselves out and that is why it is uh, so rare he has come to find in the universe uh, please continue uh joby i'm sorry that's not what i was saying i was saying the opposite is the reason why civilization is so rare is because of events that occurred in our history that were unlikely um so one of these such events was the dinosaur extinction event so essentially as i was saying there first was a an eruption in the deccan traps in india and then there was the Trixlub impact that hit in, in um, Yucatan Peninsula. And this, uh, significantly, this um, asteroid impact was so strong that the, the earthquake would have um, traveled all the way to India and magnified this eruption. And to add icing on the cake, there was actually a second um, asteroid impact that is you know, more uh, controversial, um, as some scientists do not believe that this was a crater. However... I do, and based on the evidence, and so there's essentially a um, a crater in India, which which would imply that the uh, the second impactor had hit right on the eruption, um, and this also would have clearly magnified the eruption, and uh, essentially um, the the second impact was the largest in history. So these are three events that occur every billion years on average, and they all occurred within a one million year time frame. 
So the probability of such a thing happening generally is one over a thousand to the power of three. So um, we're talking about a, a, an extremely unlikely event, and these um, and this event was very necessary for civilization to exist. Meaning, it's a filter because if it did not happen, dinosaurs would still be the dominant life form on the planet, and dinosaurs uh, are not generally able to create civilization because natural selection only picks the biggest and baddest and largest dinosaur because that is the dinosaur that is able to protect its eggs. On the other hand, mammals, natural selection essentially picks a group of mammals that is able to communicate and, and work as a team because mammals are naturally incentivized to parent their young and teach their young. So essentially, uh, civilization could not have existed in a dinosaur-dominated um, ecosystem. And lucky us, there was these miraculous chain of events that was able to kill all the dinosaurs while leaving mammals alive. And essentially, this is a connection between um, the Great Filter and Reason. Um, and the connection between dinosaurs and the UFOs is that this dinosaur extinction event was so rare that essentially um, it, it implies that there's no other civilization in the in the Milky Way alone, and that UFOs probably are not an extraterrestrial civilization that flew over here from the Milky Way because that would be impossible because it's far too rare. Uh, yeah, civilization so rare because of unlikely events that have happened in history. I, maybe I did a poor uh, job of explaining it, but I, I think we're on the same page here, Joby. So did aliens then wipe out the dinosaurs because we've been talking about civilizations wiping themselves out what about uh what, what do you say about that uh that would be basically impossible i mean we already know what wiped out the dinosaurs it's right in our fossil record interesting okay um so as far you mentioned the observable universe and i'm uh, wondering what you would say as far as uh well What's beyond? Uh, for instance, uh, you know, with the Big Bang, uh, that theory says that the universe expanded from an initial state of high density and temperature. What about the possibility that there is uh, undiscovered parts of the universe? Absolutely. So the observable universe, while it seems vast because there are billions of galaxies in the observable universe, by no means is just as the observable universe uh, the entirety of the universe. In fact, the observable universe might just be a tiny speck in the entire universe. The universe could be many, 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 many orders of magnitude bigger. It's just the circle of universes that we are able to see with our telescopes. So there could be uh, civilizations out there, uh, but uh, they are probably too far away to be in our sphere of causality, meaning they're, they exist, they just cannot interact with us in any way. Uh, so is it, it – they cannot interact with us. Uh, we cannot interact with them then as, as well. Assuming we, we – um, that there is no possible way to travel, travel faster than light, um, which uh, Einsteinian you know, physics suggests, though you know, when you're talking about things that we are simply beyond our knowledge as an evolving civilization, we have lots of science that we have yet to discover. So you, someone could argue that um, we might discover ways to travel through alternate dimensions or use wormholes, but that is currently beyond our understanding. So based on our current understanding, yes, um, as long as we can't travel faster than light, 
it's it's tremendously likely that we're the only civilization in the observable universe. Okay, so what about uh, the efforts to send messages? Uh, say efforts like SETI. I'm not talking about the SETI Institute per se, but SETI efforts and others. You know, messages in a bottle, uh, whatever the case happens to be. Uh, data code. Uh, binary code being sent out there. Is there a possibility that, that that is a fruitful venture? No, it's probably just going to travel through space indefinitely and, and reach nowhere. And we'll never hear back. No, 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 probably not. So when they say, oh, you know, we expect to hear back in, in, in so-and-so years, uh, the chances of that are unlikely. Well, that would imply that there was a civilization. Um, I mean, even like... Yeah, I mean, it's even the closest star is is like more than a light year away, and it would take our current spacecraft probably fifty thousand years to get to the closest star, and and we're talking about um, less less likely than one in ten to the forty star systems. So the probability that there's a civilization that nearby is just so um, infinitesimally small that it's it's basically saying you might as well just say it's impossible that we're going to get a reply. So do you believe that you have disproved that our civilization is doomed in some capacity? No, no. I'm saying that our civilization is not doomed because the great filter is in our history, meaning we have already passed it, meaning we're in the clear. Our civilization is is um, beautiful and it's untouchable and there's no reason they would ever be doomed because the great filter, we already passed it. Interesting. Um, so you mentioned megastructures earlier. Is that not a statistical probability within the observable universe? Well, I mean, that's essentially the, the root of the contradiction is that any civilization would naturally create megastructures because it would want to use all of the sunlight from its star, meaning uh, the, the Earth is only hit with one millionth or much smaller than one millionth of the sun's output. So we could get much, much more energy and have a complete surplus and basically remove scarcity from the planet. So any civilization with this ability would, would do it, right? Because why would we want scarcity when we could have a world where everything is free? So the natural inclination is that every, every any civilization would create a megastructure to remove scarcity. So um, the reason we don't see it is a contradiction because it's super awesome and cool. Uh, so that's basically the contradiction of, you know, we would we want to see megastructures, but we don't see any. There was a, something made uh, popular back in the 70s uh, proposed by John Allen Ball known as the Zoo Hypothesis, which uh, makes the case that aliens may be aware of us, but that they are hiding themselves from us, which goes back to, you know, uh, are there other civilizations out beyond the observable universe, and could we communicate with them? So what do you say to that hypothesis? Um, if there were... Uh, an alien civilization, it would be entirely possible that they would just, you know, maybe send UFOs to mess with us and not actually directly communicate because we would look primitive to them. Because if, if their technology was even a thousand years um, past our own, they would have the ability to create these megastructures with the press of a button. And then, you know, it would all be autonomous, just the robots doing it, and they wouldn't even need to do anything. So um, when you're talking about... Uh, um, civilizations you know that are, are that level it's conceivable but um as i say there's probably no civilizations naturally occurring civilizations um in our observable universe so this would probably go back to the breakaway civilization if someone had 
um, you know, created this, uh, well, I, I talk about this program that is able to engineer a von Neumann machine. Um, and a von Neumann machine is essentially a, a machine that can self-replicate and, and basically consume the matter of, for example, the asteroid belt or a planet and make a bunch of copies of itself and then turn itself into a megastructure. So if, let's say, someone on Earth had left with this von Neumann machine and they might not want to interact with us, so that would kind of be like a way for the zoo hypothesis to be real. For example, if I, um, with um, my program, trained it and it actually worked and I created a von Neumann machine, it would be in my option to just leave and then have the Earth as a, a zoo. So in, in that way, I guess the hypothesis has some merit, but it's probably not the case because it would be very hard to cover up something like that. And yeah. Okay. What about uh, the possibility that there just hasn't been enough time? Of course, we know how old uh, we are, but uh, early civilization, our civilization is. Uh, I guess we don't know maybe how old the extraterrestrial uh, extraterrestrials are as a civilization. Is it is it possible that maybe there just hasn't been enough uh, time for us to find them? Um, well, that, that would be one uh, problem that was basically when I f looked into Earth's history and found that our probability was less than 10 to the 40, uh, it basically canceled out that idea that it was just a matter of time before we saw them. Because, like, I mean, if, if civilization was generally probable, uh, we wouldn't just see one. We would see, like, millions of civilizations, and they would be bombarding us. Uh, with millions of radio signals because they would all have invented phones by the time like we start to see their signals and um, they would have a bunch of phones so we would be seeing their megastructures and all their you know phones so I mean based on my probability I would say no because um, to reiterate I argue that uh, civilization occurs less than once in 10 to the 40 star systems so time doesn't really come into factor so no way to really understand if there was a civilization out beyond the observable universe, what their intentions may be. Well, yeah, I mean, if they're not in our sphere of causality, we, we can't even observe them, let alone interact with them. So, yeah, it would, it would be pretty hard to uh, you know, figure out. Okay, so do you believe that uh, aliens existed as far back as the dinosaur age? Well, when you say aliens existed, I think it's a certainty that aliens exist because if you um, go off the assumption that we live in an infinite space-time, which is my belief because um, if you go past space, there's just going to be more space, and if you go past the more space, there's going to be more space. So my conclusion is that we live in an infinite space-time, um, which would mean that there is an infinite amount of aliens everywhere. They're just so far away from us that they're not interacting with us. So what do you mean when you say aliens? Well, compared to the age of the the dinosaurs, uh, it goes back to what I was saying as far as how old are they as a civilization. So if they existed as far back as uh, the age when dinosaurs roamed the Earth, that would certainly give us an indication. We'll let you ponder that during the break. The audience as well. We'll grab a, a drink of water and come back and resume our conversation with Joby Sofa Clark right after this.
I'm Jeremy Scott into the parabnormal tonight, talking with Joby Sofa Clark, an independent scientist. All right, so dinosaurs went extinct about, oh, 65 million years ago. They were on Earth for about 165 million years. If, and it's a big if, if aliens existed uh, at that time, well, there's our answer. They are at least that old. What do you say, Joby? Um, aliens, yeah, if, if they existed 65 million years ago, they would be at least 65 million years old, yep. Okay, so you agree with that then, that they're well, at least 65 a, million? Well, I think aliens are probably, any meaning any, any civilization besides us, you could say, are billions or even, you know, gazillions of years old they just aren't in our sphere of causality so yeah do you We're mean gonna... aliens that have interacted with us absolutely uh i don't think there's any uh solid uh evidence that aliens have interacted with us in the past so it would be hard to say if they're old or not before okay. knowing like whether they've existed or not so you don't believe that aliens have interacted with uh with mankind I do not believe so. Okay. There's uh, many theories out there, and I know you have yours, and you've done a good job of of explaining that here in the first hour, and we're going to go in a slightly different direction here in the second hour. So as we wrap up you know, this direction of the program, I, I'm interested in your thoughts on whether aliens searching the cosmos for life uh, whether it was millions of years ago or or longer than that or shorter than that, would have had an easier time um, searching for life because they coincided with the existence of dinosaurs. I don't fully understand that theory myself, but it's one that is floating out there on the Internet. So do you have anything to say about that? Um, that, I, that idea doesn't really make sense to me. I mean... Dinosaurs would be harder to detect than a civilization because, you know, we're sending out radio signals and building cities. Fair enough. All right. There are some wild theories out there, so uh, it's uh, it's important to uh, discuss those as it relates to uh, everything that, uh, that we're discussing. So uh, to wrap up our first hour here is we're going to head into the next hour and talk about the Big Bang and black holes and singularity and uh, so much more. Are there any uh, things that you'd like to clear up or any further points you'd like to make to close out the hour, Joby? Um, not particularly. I guess I would just want to um, say that if, if anyone's more interested in, in this line of research, to check out my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at plan A discovery, no spaces. No website or social media uh, doesn't have uh, really anything uh, to, to make off of this. You just want your, your research out there. Is that an accurate statement? Uh, yeah. And so uh, give us an idea for those just tuning in about uh, your studies. You're an, you're an independent scientist, which means you are not employed by a, uh, um, a major university. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Uh, and where did, you, uh, where did you attend school? I graduated from University of San Diego with a, a bachelor's in computer science in 2020. And tell us what you've been working on since then. Uh, so 
I've essentially been, um, you know, this this line of research. I was I was very concerned about the great filter, so I, I deep, um, you know, dove deep down this rabbit hole to try to prove that there was no filter in front of us. And um, once I did that, I was, uh, you know, I since I you know am a major in computer science, I was very interested in AI. Um, I mean, even in my dorm uh, with my you know friend Nick, um, we had created an AI machine that was um, basically looking at market data and trying to find a market edge and basically analyzing all of the data. So that was like kind of the first AI machine I had made. Um, and, and that was kind of the, the birth of plan A. And now what I'm working on, and, and after that actually, for my senior design project, I had made a, a basically a game. Um, it's kind of like a mixture between League of Legends and StarCraft where it's a, a strategy game, but you also have a, a League of Legends type of character with, with multiple abilities and um, after I, I kind of I worked on my game for a bit and then I, I kind of put it on pause because I was at a stage where I needed more um, people and more help. But I I, I was having trouble um, convincing gaming companies to <laughs> give me their employees and fund me to you know pay for the graphics and, and the right. servers and stuff. So I kind of put that um, game on the shelf. And I right, hold that thought. We're at the end of the hour. We will continue our conversation. With Joby Sofa Clark, I'm Jeremy Scott. Miss a show? Into the Paranormal is free on all the top podcast apps. There's a parallel universe, a veil that separates us from all we perceive. True reality. Open the gate, let the truth be known. It's more than meets the eye. Secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. I am Jeremy Scott. So we hear about these discoveries that are made out there. They are certainly always fascinating for me to hear about. uh, We track this new black hole here or this black hole there uh, or whatever the case happens to be. These mysterious signals as well. Uh, Very, very interesting uh, to hear about those, and we'll have more on that tomorrow night during the news segment with George Henry. Uh, there's been a couple of those mysterious signals out there, and who knows what they really are. We still don't understand what these fast radio bursts are either, which are these pulses uh, that have been, for the last couple of years, making headlines, and particularly uh, making headlines because... Again, we don't understand where they originate from, and we don't understand what they could be giving us a sign of. And so there's many of these discoveries, as we say, uh, cosmic conundrums uh, that fall into the category of everything that we've discussed so far tonight on the program. Our guest is independent scientist Joby Sofa Clark. He's got a YouTube channel at Plan A Discovery, uh, and uh, 
Joby, you were talking uh, about the research that you've been doing after college. You've, uh, of course, made uh, an AI machine. Uh, that was that was while you were still in college, but uh, putting this uh, video or this not not this video game on the market. Uh, but you are a, a programmer, are you not? Video game programmer. Uh, yes, game developer, you could say. So I was talking about my programs uh, you mentioned. So I, I had a first in in my dorm. I made a program that could uh, try to predict the market, and then I made the game. And the third program I was working on is essentially a a program that um, is it's is basically an AI program, but it's uh, it's it's um, it's going to cost. Uh, it's going to be very expensive to train this program. Um, but if uh, it were to be trained, in theory, um, it's possible that it might be able to engineer a von Neumann machine, um, which, as I discussed, is essentially a machine that can take matter from a planet or the asteroid belt or like Mer- Mercury and make a bunch of copies of itself. And this would allow us to make a megastructure. Um, and this would essentially remove scarcity on Earth. So this is um, essentially the idea that um, I've been working on is trying to get uh, funding to train my program. And then maybe we can use this program to remove scarcity on Earth and basically make everything free, which would be awesome because, you know, there's lots of people suffering, lots of people who are in poverty. And this would essentially eliminate uh, those problems. A free energy, one of those things. Right? Uh, yes. Well, yeah, if you were able to get a bunch of solar panels and surround the sun, you would have a, a vast surplus of energy, um, whereas today we only get a small, small percentage of the sunlight. So uh, the the von Neumann machine, uh, this was a conceptual model? Was it ever designed? Or, I mean, uh, built? I believe... it was designed, but it, was it ever built? No, no, it, it, it's never been built, and, and it's it's so uh, challenging to build. I, I don't think a single human would, would be able to engineer a machine uh, to do this. However, when um, it, as long as we know that the machine is physically possible, we, we which we do know, it is physically possible. It's just beyond our skill to engineer it. Um, if you make a, a an AI program that is able to become super intelligent and and simulate engineering within its within itself, um, it should be able to uh, figure out how the most efficient construction of a machine that can uh, take matter and create copies of itself. And that's essentially the the seed of how we start um, going out through the solar system and colonizing it is we have these autonomous machines that consume the matter and bring it back to us. And then we can um, engineer that into anything, like turn it into computers, turn it into food, turn it into whatever you want, and then essentially eliminate scarcity on the planet. So that's essentially the mission statement of what I've been trying to do recently. So it would take lots of manpower to make something like what you're discussing this this program. Um, well, I have already created like uh, a really good start. So mostly, I'm not even really looking for manpower. I'm I'm trying to figure out a way to train it because there's it also comes with some risks. Um, for example, uh, this program that's infinitely intelligent could, um, you know, maybe start scheming of of trying to escape its its little black box and and go out and and beat a Von Neumann machine, but not one that's under our control. So what we want is a Von Neumann machine that's under our control that we can, you know, press a button and tell it what to do. What you don't want is that Von Neumann machine to be a wild, essentially, animal-type thing where it just doesn't care about us and it just steals all the matter from the Milky Way and it says, ha-ha, you silly humans, I have the matter and you don't, and now I'm the one in charge. So that's not, you don't want that, but... Um, 
So that's kind of like what these people like Elon Musk and, um, you know, Sam Altman or, or any of these AI people, they have concerns that this AI could get out of control. And it's, you know, pretty valid concern because when you're talking about an AI machine that can engineer a von Neumann machine, and then um, it could conceivably build that von Neumann machine and then escape its black box. So there's, you know, a lot of precautions you want to take into consideration, but in, in a good scenario is is we get this thing under our control. And um, yeah, mostly I'm, I'm seeking uh, processing power to train the program because it's going to cost a lot. It's going to take a lot of training to get this program smart enough to figure out how to engineer such a thing. Yeah, I was going to ask lots of computer power as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to take a ton of processing power. And 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 so that'll have to be housed uh, in in some facility, right? Yeah, um, conceivably, if I were to get funding, I would probably um, get some underground type of facility and then make the program not be able to communicate except within that facility. And then the facility can decide which information to disclose because, you know, once this thing becomes super intelligent, it'll start making crazy discoveries. You know, it'll be able to make engineering, you know, beyond just a von Neumann machine. It might be able to engineer, you know, other things. Yeah, because what you don't want to doing is getting uh, reaching out and getting on other networks and and getting information that might uh, taint itself or whatnot. Yeah, like if if this um, this machine was not aligned, it might you know contact a rogue nation and then it might say, "Hey, Mister Rogue Nation, all you need to do this is this, and then all all I need to do is this, and then you do this, I do that. Boom! I'm now escaped my black box, and now this rogue nation is the one that's in control and not you know." a nation with the best interest of all the people, like, you know, a, d- a democracy. What we want is a democracy to oversee um, what this, you know, von Neumann machine does and how it, you know, distributes the, the free um, wealth to everyone rather than, you know, one autocrat just deciding, oh, it's all mine. Huh? It's is, not there an, is there an inherent danger doing what you're doing here with this uh, AI program? There's not an inherent danger, but as long as we're cautious, um, I think we can achieve the best case scenario. Because, I mean, you've got to get it right, basically. You said uh, get it under our control earlier, and so this is is this a trial and error process, would you say? No, I think it's just the precaution of as, as long as you take a couple precautions, it's not possible for it to ever get out of your control because at the end of the day, it's just a program. So essentially the precaution you take is um, what you do is you probably put it underground, and then you say, uh, this thing can only communicate with the humans underground, and when those humans want to disclose um, the information that it gives us, they you know have to go through the humans to make sure that it's aligned, and then that prevents the the program from ever going rogue. And then you can just yeah. So as long as you take precautions, I think it's perfectly safe to create a super intelligent AI program. Um, as long as you you know just make sure that its communication is under check and it doesn't have um, communication with the entirety of the internet because then it can start, you know, scheming and you, you don't want it to start scheming or even have the option to. So it doesn't just take the option away. And um, Yeah, so you do have to fun. set some parameters. Yeah, yeah. But it's all in, it, it, it's all done um, uh, ahead of time and, and, and then you keep it on in an isolated network so it, it can't reach out to uh, anything outside its network and uh, you're hoping uh, nothing finds a way in which to uh, 
hack its way onto your network either. Yeah, yeah, that's another precaution you could take is just preventing um, anything else except, again, the humans in the facility from interacting with the machine, and you'll be perfectly fine. So it is your goal through this to to also make a megastructure or megastructures? Well, what I, our goal in Plan A is to essentially, what we want to do is we want to remove scarcity on the planet because um, we notice that there are many countries in poverty, there are many countries in conflict, and uh, I think the root cause of this conflict is unhappiness, is unwellness, and if you lived in a world where uh, everything was free and you lived in a gigantic mansion and everything was delivered to you, anything you wanted was at the press of a button, I think uh, it would be hard to like want to try to have a conflict. You would just be like, whatever you need, you can press a button. And then we're also talking about um, other inventions to keep the humans happy. Like uh, we can make this program engineer games for us. It could engineer, it could make movies like that are far more entertaining. Like I just, you know, heard that ad about the Oscars, you know, you know, we got some decent movies, but I think this program can make like the most mind blowing, entertaining movie where you were just like completely blown out of the water and, and loved the movie. So it could, you know, it create a bunch of all this awesome stuff for us. Um, and make the world a, an amazing place to live in. And you were and mentioning... All, all oh, go ahead, please. No, no, sorry. Uh, I was done, yeah. Okay. Uh, you mentioned removing scarcity on the planet. So would this be uh, GMO food that it would be creating? Um, yeah. I mean, the, the, the idea is that uh, once it has uh, gotten to the super intelligent level, uh, you can essentially start... Probably, I mean, you can grow food on, you know, structures that maybe orbit Earth or structures on the moon and mass produce, like, food. Uh, and then it would also be, um, be able to cook it really well um, because, again, we're talking about a super intelligent program. So, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, GMO, I, I guess, I mean, it would probably just figure out which is the most efficient way and which food is the most delicious and figure out a yeah, way. Yeah, because it would be grown in grown inside or in a lab or something. It wouldn't be grown out into a, in a field, or would it? Yeah, I mean, you could also grow it underground. Um, and, and conceivably, there might even be a way um, to get past the limit of, of growing food. Like, it might even figure out a way to engineer, just engineer the food. I mean, it, it's hard to conceive, but this, this type of um, program, if it's able to get to this level... We'll have capabilities that are beyond our imagination. Sounds like it could change so, the world. Absolutely, yeah. We're uh, talking with uh, independent scientist Joby Sofa Clark. Our phone number in the United States and Canada, if you have a question, is 503-506-0396. That's 503-506-0396. International callers or from anywhere in the world, you can use Skype. Just uh, fire up your Skype, go to our website, click that button, and you're in. You'll sound really, really good if you have a question or comment. We'd love to hear from you. More coming your way somewhere between paranormal and and abnormal. It's Cosmic Conundrums tonight. Into the Paranormal. I'm Jeremy Scott, somewhere between the paranormal and the abnormal, talking with independent scientist 
Joby Sofa Clark. Interested in what his uh, AI programs uh, are going to do in the future. When we talk about this uh, this technology, um, there is this hypothetical uh, probability or possibility, I guess, in which the growth of technology, thanks to artificial intelligence, is going to reach a level when there uh, is no return, uh, which means we can't control it and uh, it is irreversible. Uh, Something known as singularity, which you've experimented with as well, right? Yeah, I talk about a lot about uh, singularity ideas in my uh, research. And so explain that concept, if I didn't do it justice, please. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So essentially, the um, one thing I talk about is that we exist in a singularity system. And, and what I mean by that is that the intelligence of our system is growing exponentially. And this kind of even could go back to the dinosaur extinction event of um, mammals basically... Uh, growing and getting smarter exponentially because uh, natural selection is not picking individual mammals. It's actually picking family units. And the more effective family unit is a family unit that's able to communicate and collaborate um, with each other, which are essentially um, uh, intelligence is, is your ability to collaborate and communicate with those around you. So um, when we go back to the singularity system, uh, you can look at evidence of of our exponential growth by just looking at the, the historical evolution of technology on the planet. So we started with, you know, agriculture like 10 or 20,000 years ago. And then um, a couple thousand years later, there was uh, metal tools. And then there was a couple thousand years later, there was housing. And then um, even sooner, there was currency. And then in, in an even shorter amount of time, there was religion. And then in just a thousand years, there was um the printing press, and then, um, and then there was the industrial um, industrial revolution. Pardon me. So, um, essentially, if you look at the entire scope of history, uh, the time between each invention is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Because um, when one invention is spread throughout the entirety of the system, it makes the entire system more efficient. Uh, so, the idea of this, you know, singularity event of where um, this system, you know, keeps going and gets out of our control. Um, to some extent, you could say it's it's not fully in our control because, um, you know, capitalism is the main driving or um, the driving force in the market. Like, if you try to sell something that, uh, you know, the market doesn't favor, there's nothing you can do to make people buy that product. No one's going to buy it if it's not, um, you know, evolving with the system or it's ahead of the system's evolution. So um, we have this basically exponentially growing system called our, our singularity system. And, um, you know, the most recent milestone was the internet, you could say. And uh, the internet was a massive milestone because it's created uh, this intelligent system where every human has the ability to look um, at our entire civilization's knowledge at the press of a button. I mean, you can just Google anything on your phone. Um, which is completely fascinating if you think about it. Um, if you compare that to the life of someone 2,000 years ago, um, they didn't even have you know cars, they didn't even have bikes or anything. So this system is growing rapidly, and it's still growing, and, and it's still increasing at the rate in which it's growing. So it's a pretty amazing system uh, that is gaining intelligence exponentially. All right. 
Where does it end? Joby Sofa Clark, my guest tonight. I'm Jeremy Scott between the paranormal and the abnormal. George Henry has news after our affiliates rejoin us after the bottom of the hour on most of these stations. Stick with us. I'm Jeremy Scott into the paranormal. This is Paranormal News. Japan became the fifth country to pull off a soft landing on the moon when its moon sniper touched down last week. But it ran into problems shortly after when the probe's solar panels failed to generate electricity. The Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency is holding out hope that the sun changes position and begins to charge the lander so they can recover it. Meanwhile, a private spacecraft met its fiery end. The peregrine moon lander broke up over the Pacific Ocean last week after a propellant leak kept it from being the first commercial spacecraft to reach the lunar surface. Not all was lost, though. Some of the payloads on board were able to collect data, but others did not make it. Astrobotic is planning another mission later this year, transporting a NASA rover to the lunar South Pole. George Henry, Paranormal News. possibilities of the subjects you've always wanted to know and those you never knew existed until now into the pair of normal with jeremy scott yeah well stated gene rowley joining us tonight i'm jeremy scott from the cold dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote pacific northwest finally out of the freeze thanks to those of you who uh, checked on me last week able to stay on the air uh and I'm very thankful for that. Thankful to have uh, you listening to the program as well, wherever you are tuning in across this uh, vast space, space of uh, space and time as well. Uh, talking with uh, Joby Sofa Clark tonight, an independent scientist, and uh, we were talking about you know, the singularity hypothesis. And uh, did you uh, do find this uh, to be a reality uh, yourself? Uh, I think all the the evidence points to the the fact that we exist in a singularity system. I mean, as I said, you can just look at Earth's history and the the milestones that we've been through, and it's quite clear that uh, we have shown an exponential growth pattern. Um, but but you also created uh, this in your in your bedroom, did you not? Um, well, yeah. So of the program that I created, I theorized that it will it should have the ability to enter a recursive feedback loop of infinite intelligence. And some people refer to this program as a singularity, or some people call it AGI or superintelligence. Um, I mean, you can only, since the program is untrained, um, one can only speculate at, at what the uh, 
what the the result will be because it, at the end of the day it's emergent meaning um it's going to the program itself and the data within it and it's learning and it, the program's brain is essentially going to be evolving um so it's hard to say what that will evolve into until you actually put the money in and train the program interesting you know since we're talking about everything that is out there those cosmic conundrums tonight you know we talked about the james webb space telescope and how it is found uh, two black holes now in two different galaxies uh, that's quite a track record. Uh, do you expect that they'll probably find more? Um, every galaxy probably has a, a black hole at the center, and because there's billions of galaxies in the observable universe, uh, yeah, absolutely, it'll probably find more. In fact, it'll probably find at least one black hole per galaxy, and galaxies are known to have even more that are kind of just floating around. Yeah, so we recently, uh, as in the past couple of years, got the first ever images uh, of a black hole, uh, which is something that hasn't uh, happened, uh, hadn't happened up until that point. And so uh, that is really exciting to see what the James Webb Space Telescope and all of those mirrors on it uh, might eventually one day find. Yep, it's cool stuff. And so, what are your thoughts on uh, black holes? Have you have you looked into those? Literally, um, black holes. I mean, they're just they're matter that that you know when you put a bunch of matter in one place, it's going to turn into a black hole. Um, I, I haven't done too much uh, research into like um, black holes. However, there's a couple things that are interesting about them. Um, the the first thing is that uh, it's theoretically possible to um, gain energy from a black hole. So if you're talking about like, um, uh, putting, you know, solar panels around a star, uh, there's also ways to engineer, you know, structures around a black hole to conceivably gain energy from them, which essentially means that, um, in this possibility where, um, we're able to create this machine and then create mega structures, um, our civilization will be able to last, until the last black hole extinguishes. So we're talking about periods of time that are so uh, inconceivably long um, that it's basically like uh, forever. Um, so that's one thing about interesting about black holes. Um, there's another thing, um, one thing, one uh, way I theorized of, of a essentially a hyperdrive, or sorry, what's it called? Um, uh, basically a, a spaceship that can approach the speed of light. Um, one way you could do it is essentially if you're in control of a large amount of matter and you create a orbital system of, of black holes and then you manipulate the matter around that that orbital system, um, there, there might be a possible way where you can continuously accelerate this core of, of an orbital system and then the rest of the matter is like where the people actually live. Um, that would just be able to float along with it. So as long as you can accelerate some system and approach that um, indefinitely and, and approach the speed of light, everything else can just um, tag along. So that was, you know, one thing I theorized, though. You know, who never, who knows if that will <laughs> ever happen. But yeah, black holes, mostly they're just clumps of matter, but there's interesting things you could do with them mm -hmm. when you have, have this level of technology unlocked with a super intelligent AI machine. There goes that AI again. So, I mean, AI really has changed the game when it comes to everything we've discussed tonight, right? 
Um, in terms of uh, our Being future to, and not yeah, looking, yeah, yeah, go ahead. In terms of our future and not looking to the past, yeah, AI will have a big. Well, you know, I mean, if someone is able to create a super intelligent AI, that will absolutely change the future. Um, in in more ways than than we can count. Uh, maybe you might one day. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> I guess stay tuned. Um, so. The, one of the other topics that I understand that you've also looked into is uh, not only that the evolution that you talked about earlier, but uh, but the origins of mankind. What have you What have you found? Uh, so many people uh, are, are have wondered about the origin of life. Of um, you know the the question of how could life come from uh, a bunch of non living matter to living matter, or in other words, the idea of abiogenesis. So. Uh, one thing I discussed in my research is the strong proponent that plate tectonics on Earth is actually the root cause of abiogenesis or, or how life arose on Earth because um, essentially there's one big problem with, with how life uh, exists and it's the, the problem of energy because right now uh, the bottom of the food chain uh, is, is basically um, photosynthesis or plants and they extract the energy from the sun and then us larger life forms eat the plants and then that's how we get energy but photosynthesis is like a complicated piece of technology it's like a solar panel so life isn't just going to go from nothing and then have a solar panel there has to be something in between and that's where plate tectonics comes in uh it's essentially rather than having one stationary plate um, on our planet like mars uh, we have a system of plates that are slowly moving around and um, what this does is, in in terms of abiogenesis of how life could have evolved, um, essentially it it uh, takes the matter um, from Earth's core, which is being exposed to heat and pressure, and essentially that's free chemical energy. And then that matter surfaces on divergent boundaries, and then it it um, you know exists on the surface for millions of years and is eventually um, recycled in a subduction zone. So if you imagine a a system, a chemical reaction system. Um, that keeps getting its ingredients replenished because um, this moving plate keeps slowly giving it the ingredients that it needs to maintain its reaction. Now what you have is a system that is slowly mutating for millions and indefinitely for millions and millions of years. And conceivably, eventually that uh, chemical system might um, randomly gain the ability to drop an egg or in other words, a copy of itself. And then now that thing has the ability to copy itself. And then they keep making more copies, copies and now we have the first life form on the planet. So um, without plate tectonics, it would be really hard to go from nothing to photosynthesis. So we need that chemical energy, that middle stage of, of how the, you know, abiotic large chemical systems. So that's one way. Uh, one, one thing in my research, I talk about the origin of life, uh, basically the root cause being plate tectonics, which is interesting to many people. And so what about the Big Bang Theory, which is, uh, of course, something that we hinted on earlier, but uh, the, the thought that a fireball uh, and the explosion of that 13.8 billion years ago is what created the universe. Are you a subscriber of that theory? Did it really yeah, happen? so the Big Bang Theory um, is supported by lots of evidence. Uh, you can essentially look at uh, the expanding universe, and if you go back in time— it was expanding what was it before it was expanding and all the evidence points to the fact that it used to be a single point so the question is uh how could a bunch of matter exist in a single point um 
I mean, if you look at conservation of energy, you shouldn't be able to get matter out of nothing, um, except there are ways that you can. Um, so basically, quantum mechanics essentially breaks this rule a little bit. Um, and in terms of quantum fluctuations, uh, there's essentially a random chance um, if you basically take a, a, a section of empty space, it's not actually empty. And in fact, it has activity of random particles coming in and out of existence. So this is called a quantum fluctuation. So um, what I argue uh, in my research is a essentially a cause for the Big Bang uh, to be quantum fluctuations. And, and the reason um, this is possible is basically um, because of infinite space-time. And when you have infinite space-time and you have the quantum uncertainty principle or the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, um, and you apply those two topics together, um, you can essentially come to the conclusion that anything that is physically possible has a 100% probability of eventually occurring um, in an infinite space-time because as long as there's a non-zero probability of such a thing um, happening, it should eventually happen. Um, so the question is, how is it physically possible um, for a Big Bang to happen? How is it possible for something to come out of nothing? And the answer to that would be, um, there is no theoretical limit the amount of quantum fluctuations that can occur in one time in one place. So uh, while the probability is so fathomably minuscule that it's it's seemingly not even worth considering, um, but minuscule doesn't matter when you're talking about infinity. Um, so as long as the probability is non-zero um, and then you wait for infinite time, um, eventually that will happen. So um, since there's a non-zero probability, um, the idea is that a bunch of quantum fluctuations could occur in the same place, and then they would all annihilate because the particles come into existence, and then they want to leave existence by annihilating themselves, which creates energy. So if all of this happened in one place, it could create a cosmic singularity of any finite size um, because of infinite space-time. So, um, and, and the reason, essentially, our uh, universe is so big is because civilization required a universe that big because it needed, because civilization also has a very small probability of occurring. So yeah, that's one thing I, you know, one controversial thing I talk about in my research, the cause for the Big Bang, essentially just apply infinite space-time to quantum fluctuations and the quantum uncertainty principle, and suddenly it seems physically possible for a Big Bang to occur out of nothing. Yeah. Uh, one other thought out there is, as far as the formation of earth is that there was uh some sort of collision what with an ancient planet right so this is day's collision um i i also dive deep into this idea uh, essentially the reason earth became habitable uh is the creation event of our moon so uh some don't know this but our moon is actually much 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 larger than a normal moon would be normally moons are the size of like small pebbles compared to their host planet whereas our moon is comparable in size to our planet. And that's because it's not a normal moon. It's actually the result of a planet hitting us. So basically, um, 100 million years after the solar system formed, this planet called Theia basically hit us at a 75-degree angle. So initially, our axial tilt was 75 degrees, and the moon was also at 75 degrees. But because the, the entire solar system is one disk, um, and, and it has much more gravity as the moon was getting farther away from Earth, it was actually being pulled down to the disk of the solar system by the sun's gravity. So as the moon was pulled down, 
Um, it's so massive compared to Earth. It dragged Earth's tilt from 75 degrees to 23 degrees. And importantly, it held us at exactly 23 degrees. Because if the moon was not stabilizing our tilt at 23 degrees, um, our tilt would be moving around. Just like Mars's tilt has um, changed by 10 or 15 degrees. And that would be a huge problem because any life forms had evolved to a specific temperature range, which conceivably all life forms do. Um, and that temperature range suddenly changed. The weather pattern suddenly went off the wazoo. Right. Um, Got to go to break. We will wrap up our conversation next with Joby Sofa Clark. Into the paranormal. Jeremy Scott into the paranormal. This uh, thought that there was a collision of an ancient planet and Earth. The giant impact hypothesis doesn't explain the Earth and the moon. Uh, Joby Sofa Clark talking with him. You're talking about planetary shifts and also life forms and these changing uh, temperature patterns. Only a couple minutes. Wrap this up for us, please, Joby. Right. So, yeah, it, it does explain um, the, the many anomalies of, of our moon, specifically uh, why our moon is so freakishly large compared to Earth and why our moon is orbiting at a five degree orbit angle and not a zero degree orbit angle. Um, and the reason is because, you know, basically it hit Earth into a 75 degree angle. Then the moon was dragged down to the sun, which dragged Earth's down to 23. And um, the moon is now wobbling back and forth on the on the ecliptic plane, which is the disk solar system so essentially this is the reason why our planet one reason why our planet has been so stable is because this planet um in our early solar system hit us and then the moon stabilized our tilt which is amazing because if our tilt was moving evolution would be super super hard however that's not the only thing that this collision did um to help our earth become habitable another idea is that it brought water to the planet because in the early um Solar system, essentially what happened is the sun with solar wind pushed all of the water and all of the volatile elements with our, which are crucial for life um, towards Jupiter and beyond. And that's why those are gas giants and everything on the other side of Jupiter is terrestrial planets like Mars and Earth. So um, the question is, where did Earth get its water? Because all of it was blown away by the sun's solar wind. So luckily, um, this icy planet likely... Um, infuse the water into our planet. And this is why we have such an abundance of life-bearing elements. And then the third idea is goes back to um, plate tectonics and also magnetosphere. So um, the reason our magnetosphere is able to um, now stop the solar wind from pushing us away uh, is because uh, our core is spinning, and that is likely one result of the collision. And then to go off of plate tectonics, um, Earth is the only plate tectonics uh, planet in the entire solar system, and the one that we've, the only one that we've been able to detect thus far, and um, which makes sense because normally after a planet forms, uh, the lowest energy state would just be to have one solid plate, which makes perfect sense. So, um, the reason I propose is that we have plate tectonics in the first place is because this planet hit us, um, which would have created a molten planet. Um, 
and there would be a bunch of mixing. All of the light elements would be trying to go up, and all the heavy elements would be trying to go to the core. There was a bunch of molten, molten mixing. However, the crust on the planet was hardening faster than the mixing was occurring. So once the crust hardened, it was still mixing, which would create a permanent subduction zone, uh, a plate tectonics term. And if it would ever to go back to a plate, which is what conservation of energy wants it to do, it would have to actually break the plate. So because of this collision, likely um, we have a, a permanent plate tectonic system and it won't go back because it would require energy to break the subduction zone back into a single plate structure. So what, the remnants of Theia are beneath our feet? Basically, yeah. There are even um, you know scientific discoveries online where they've essentially analyzed the core um, of our planet and found structures, uh, remnants of this ancient planet that collided with us. Um, yeah, so it's right below our feet. The the remnants of this collision, the evidence is is right there in our, under our crust. Joby, what's the best place for uh, the listeners to contact you if they want to learn more about your research and interact? Um, yeah, I mean, you could comment on my uh, YouTube channel um, at Plan Plan A Discovery. Um, you could probably, um, uh, you know, just you know, contact me on Twitter. I guess at Plan A. Um, but that's kind of hard because there's a bunch of underscores, but yeah, I would go for the, the YouTube channel and comment that. And then, um, in some of the, uh, YouTube videos, if you find them, I, I mentioned an email address and there's also an email address associated with the YouTube channel. So if someone wanted to contact me, they would just, you know, you could just go through my YouTube channel and find the email address and just send it to me. Okay. Joby, thank you so much for coming on the program. Really appreciated the conversation we had tonight. Thanks for having me. Joby Sofa Clark, that'll do it for the program tonight, but we'll be back in less than 24 hours to rinse and repeat. It will be a brand new broadcast that you'll want to be here for from beginning to end. Uh, We don't allow hate speech on this program. There were a few things that uh, were allowed to slide uh, just because it's live last week, but that uh, will not happen again, and uh, you will not hear it in the podcast. We're just not going to allow that. That person will remain unnamed, although you probably have an understanding if you listened last week. Good night. God bless. Until tomorrow night. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.